Hello and welcome to our podcast named Detours. This podcast embraces the unexpected twists and turns that shapes the journeys of our lives that God sends us down. I'm your host and fellow traveler, Mike. I'm here with my beautiful wife, Deb, and we invite you to join us on this exploration of uncharted territories we encounter along the way. So without further ado, let's dive into this episode. Welcome back to Detours, everyone. I am your host, Mike. I am here with my beautiful wife, Deb. Hi, guys. And as you know, our guest for season number two is my father, Steve. Say hello to everyone, Steve. Hello, folks. And we are back, continuing on with our last episode. Uh, this is a heavy topic this season, the, the loss, loss and death of a child. And uh, so we want to continue on with some of the positive things that we, we that happened to us along the way. Uh, we didn't want to just focus on uh, the negative uh, emotions and, and so on and so forth. So this is going to be hopefully another uh, more encouraging episode for everyone. And it begins uh, a few years after Stuart passes away. And Dad, you, you had a little bit of a burden on your heart. Can you uh, walk us through the, the very early stages of the Ronald McDonald House? So it really started, I think you'll recall in one of the earlier episodes that <clears throat> Stuart's cardiologist called and asked Sandra and I to come over to talk to us. And, and he did. And, and I said to him then, I said, you know, we've been so blessed by all of the people that have, you know, taken care of Stuart. Um, we'd like to really give something back in return. And you know, that was, that statement was made and it was probably made several times for almost eight years. Um, the pediatric hospital had sort of a, I'll call it a steering committee. We weren't really a board, but they did put me on that steering committee. And the steering committee was headed up by a guy named Dr. Craig Anderson, who was the head of pediatrics. And every time we'd have a steering committee meeting, I would always say to Craig, Craig, when are you going to put me into action here? I, I just really want to give something back. And he says, well, you know, it's coming. One of these days we'll figure out the right role for you. And he said, well, right now that everything, you know, there's just nothing going on. I go, all right, fine. So one day the phone rings and he goes, all right, I got it for you. I said, what's that? He said, well, we want to build a Ronald McDonald house on the campus here at Loyola so that all of our families have a place to stay. And immediately I knew that was the right thing to do because as we mentioned, the, the waiting room and the pediatric ward allowed for smoking. There'd be 20 people in that room. They had really uncomfortable chairs. The smoke was so thick you could cut it with a knife, Yikes. and there were children running around because there was and there were no toys there for them to play with. It was just a, a big room, and so I immediately said, "I'm in. Let's let's do this." He said, "Well, we're we're going to have an organizing committee meeting in a week or so. Come on over." So I did, and what I learned was that Loyola is the closest hospital to the corporate headquarters of McDonald's at the time. And so this was going to become sort of the showpiece of McDonald's. And when new people came to McDonald's corporate headquarters and they wanted to take them to a Ronald house, ours would be the, the, the place. So was Ronald McDonald house around 
at that time, or is this like the inception of? No, Ronald McDonald House at that time. I can't tell you exactly how many, but there were several. Okay. There was already one or two in Chicago at that point in time. As a matter oh, of fact, okay. there's seven or eight there today, but and that there's hundreds worldwide now. But no, it wasn't a new concept uh, to McDonald's. And this is eight years after Stewart's passing Correct. that you get the charge yep. to do this. Yep. Okay. So the other piece that was really kind of exciting to me was because of its importance. The chairman of the board at the time was a guy named Mike Quinlan. Mike asked his wife to take a role in the Ronald McDonald House, and she became sort of my my partner in crime, if you will. I was responsible for the construction, and she was responsible for the decoration of the inside of the house. Fun. That would uh, be my job. It would. Be, you'd be good at it too, Thank Deb. You. <laughs> you'd you'd have had a blast because you know it was a, it was a big house. And so, you know, we had a number of, of meetings. We met with the corporate Ronald McDonald House people to get certain guidelines ironed out that you had to satisfy. We met with, you know, there, there's a misconception that McDonald's paid for all the houses that we built. That's not true. Um, we were partners with the Chicagoland and Northern Indiana McDonald owner operators. When I say partners, they certainly made a financial contribution to the house, but not nearly enough to build the house. Um, and they also had members that sat on the board of directors. We had a fairly large board of directors that we accumulated. It was based on, we had about, I think, four McDonald operators. We had um, one of the head nurses from the hospital. We had three or four of the doctors from the hospital. We had a group of parents that had sick children or had children that had passed away at the hospital. And then we had the Loyola University Medical Center backs up to Heinz Veterans Association Hospital. So a VA hospital. Um, and Dr. Joan Cummings, who was the head of that Heinz VA hospital, also sat on the board. And as it turned out, it was really a blessing because they donated the piece of land or they leased the piece of land to us to build the house on. So we now have assembled this group of people. And I have to say, usually when you get a board of directors, there's conflict. Everybody wants to push their own their agenda. Way. This was the most amazing group of people I have ever met in my life. You know, if, if, if I could have chosen anybody myself, I would have chosen the same people that we had. Um, everybody had the same goal. Everyone understood this was for the benefit of sick children. And it was really um, an amazing, energizing board of directors, to say the least. So we met. I didn't know what my role was going to be. Uh, I just knew I was a part of this. And at that point, Dr. Anderson said to me, how would you feel about being responsible for the total construction? Meaning that you would pick the architect, you would choose the design, you would choose the contractors, you would work with the contractors all the way through the process till the day we turned it over to the house manager. I knew nothing really about construction, but I said, 
you know, yeah, I'll do that. Just understand, I'm not a construction genius. I said, oh, you don't have to be a construction genius. So um, we started our, our process, which was an interesting process. I had a vision that said, I do not want the Ronald McDonald House to look like a, a Holiday Inn or a hospital. It needs to look like a something home. out of Disney World. I wanted a castle. I wanted something that had imagination to it. So the kids weren't going, oh, you know, they weren't bored with it. I, I wanted something really special. And so we held a, uh, you know, there were a number of uh, press releases sent out, and we had a, a call for architects day. And we invited all these architects to come, and they listened as I gave my vision for what I wanted. And then each architect then came back and gave a brief presentation on their credentials and all this kind mm -hmm. of stuff. And we, we picked four architects to compete for the job. Three of the architects were guys that had designed buildings for the Loyola University campus. They had a lot of, you know, institutional building type experience. But there was a guy there that was truly the outlier. He was a young man. In those days, he had the really skinny tie. He wore all the really modern clothes. <laughs> and he was just... You know, none of us believed he was the right guy, but I said, let's put him in the process. He, he was looking for a break. He wanted to create something, and he'd, he'd done some house remodelings and stuff, and I'm like, let's give him a shot. What the heck? So we gave him the shot. The day comes that they come to present their, their presentations, and to cut to the quick very quickly, first architect, Holiday Inn. Second architect, hospital building. Third architect, prison. No, <laughs> it just, it, <laughs> it's just terrible. It just didn't look good at all. <laughs> so Marilyn and I are sitting there and I'm going, this is either going to be the worst thing I've ever seen or he's going to just be amazing. So he walks in and he says, you know, I'd like to explain to you my inspiration for the house. He said, I, I have a number of friends of mine that are in the healthcare industry that are nurses and such. And he said, I've met with them. But I also read two children's books. The first one was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and the Trip to Narnia. And the second one was a book called The Secret Garden about a girl that was ill and she would go out to the garden every day and nature would heal her. And so he said, I, I built my concept around that. Sounds like now, a great start. He's got our attention all of a sudden. I'm uh -huh. like... This guy might really nail it. Let's see what it looks like. And he takes the the cover off the the the, the board that's got the the external elevation drawing. And I'm like, oh my God, that's it. That's it. I was so excited. But then he starts to tell the story. And he said, the way I've crafted this, he said, every parent wants to make sure that their children are okay, that they know where they're at, that everything's all right. He said, I've built this house in such a way that it resembles a mother wrapping her arms around her children. So all the children's places, like the toy room and the living room, all those things are surrounded by the rooms going up four stories. And every one of them, you can look out the window and see down and see your kid. And if you're in the kitchen fixing dinner, 
you can see your children. Oh, that's great. He said, there's one other surprise that I'll tell you about later. <laughs> okay. So I'm pretty impressed. And it was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Every floor had a laundry on it for the people to do their laundry. Every floor had a relaxation area with a TV and video games and all that kind of good stuff. Um, it, it was, for all intents and purposes, it was perfect. Mm. So he says to us, he said, I've, I've built two rooms in this house that I think are really important. The first one is a, is a chapel. He said, I put a small chapel up on the second floor. And he said, it's a, I, I've designed it in such a way that it encompasses all the major religions. So that, you know, depending on what your religion is, you know, there's Christians and Muslims. And, you know, he went through the whole thing. And he said, I've kind of designed it with that in mind. I'm like, that's pretty impressive. And he said, I have a library so that the kids can go in and read books. I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. He said, but I need to tell you the rest of the story. He said, if you read the book, the, you know, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's a wardrobe that as you open it, you step into the wardrobe and it takes you to Narnia. He said, I've built a secret room for the kids. He said, they go up a staircase, a spiral staircase to a turret at the top of the building and they can... It, it, it is a playroom filled with all kinds of stuffed animals and not hard toys, but like beanbag chairs and things where the kids can just lay around. And they have all these windows that they can see out over the whole campus. Wow. And I'm like, wow, is right. You know, and I'm, I, I mean, I'm so excited. So then he goes on to say, but that's just the part of it. The other part. I want to explain to you is I've done an elevation drawing of the whole piece of property. And he said, I talked to you about the secret garden. He said, I've included a secret garden in the, in the plan. Hmm. And he had this beautiful garden that he had drawn into the plan. And I'm like, Oh man, you know, we've done it. This is it. <sighs> so, Clearly, Marilyn and I both agreed this was the guy, but we had to get the board to agree. So we got the board engaged, and, you know, they all knew what my vision was, and they all agreed. I don't want a holiday in here. They saw that plan, and they just went bonkers. It was so cool. And all of a sudden, we had ourselves a real plan. And it was that plan that really launched our effort because now all of a sudden we got to start raising money, like to the tune of $4 million. And so we plan a black tie gala and we had it down. I, I think our first one was at the field museum in Chicago where they had the big dinosaur and all this stuff. And the cool part of it was, that night we raised, I don't know, eight or nine hundred thousand dollars. Wow. It was just incredible. I think it's incredible that God used your sales ability to put you in a position to raise money because raising money is a hard job and you have to have the right personality and you have to be willing to ask for the money. And a lot of people are uncomfortable with that. But yet God puts you in a position to do just that. And all the years of sales training that led up to this. I'm going to ask for $4 million comes down to, I'm going to put Steve Snyder in the job to do it. My, 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 thank you. I agree with you. My favorite story mm -hmm. that I need to go back before the Ronald House 
was really in motion. We were having one of these initial planning sessions, right? And we had it in the pediatric conference room. And we just finished our meeting, and I'm walking to the elevator, and right next to the elevator, across from the elevator, is the waiting room. And I see this lady, and she's just sobbing and crying and stuff. So I went over, and I sat down next to her, and I said, can I help you? Is there anything I can do? No, no, there's nothing you can do. And I said, I lost a son here at this hospital. I, I, I can identify with the pain you must be going through. Can you tell me a little bit about the problem? She said, yeah, my son has a brain infection. And they just had to do an emergency tracheotomy to keep him alive. And... So I said, well, do you have someone that you need to call? She said, oh, I've called my husband. He's on his way over. So I, I said, would, would you like me just to sit here with you until he arrives? She goes, oh, would you do that? That would be so nice. Hmm. So I just sat there with her, and the elevator door is open, and this man steps off the elevator and I recognized him immediately. I had hired, I had promoted a fellow that worked for us in New York City and promoted him and brought him to Chicago to be a manager of our business. And he'd only been in Chicago a few weeks. And he steps off the elevator and he says, Steve, what are you doing here? I said, Mike, what are you doing here? He said, this is my wife. Oh, wow. This was one of my employees' wives and their son was sick. I tell you that story to tell you this story. So the day comes that we, we decide we're going to invite all the major contractors in Chicago to come to the Ronald McDonald House kickoff meeting because we want them all to submit bids. And the deal was Mike and I were each going to give our, our testimony, if you will, and tell... Mike, Mike. No, Mike Colucci is the guy's name. Oh, okay. Yeah, th this Mike, was, he wasn't ready for that just yet. He will be, <laughs> but... So Mike Colucci is his name. We get up in front of all these contractors. It was, it was the most incredible thing you've ever seen. And we feed them lunch, and we tell them a little bit about it. We show them the blueprint. And then I said, you know, guys, I think it's really important that you hear the story of one or two people and why we need this here. Because I'm going to ask you for something when this is done. I'd like to introduce you to Mike Colucci. So Mike Colucci gets up and tells his story. And he said, you know, I, I, I grew up in New York City, and my father always told me, you know, if, if, you're gonna, if you have to sleep somewhere, like in a public place, he said, use your wallet, take your wallet out of your pocket, and lay it on the floor and put your head on your wallet. Because if they're going to steal your wallet, they're going to have to pull it out from underneath your head, and your head's going to hit the ground. He said, there were many nights I slept in this waiting room, and I pulled my wallet out of my pocket and slept on my wallet because I had no place to go. Wow. These big construction dudes are all, they're just dying. You know, there's tears coming down. Then I tell my story of Stuart. And when it was all said and done, there wasn't a dry eye in the place. I said, guys, here's the deal. I'm not asking anyone here for a specific contribution. My only requirement is if you're going to be the guys that build this house, you have to make some sort of a contribution. What that is, how you make it, 
I don't care. You have to have a vested stake in this house. So when you give us your bid, you know, we're not going to take necessarily the lowest bidder. We're not going to take, you know, it's not a contest to see who can donate the most money. I just want you to participate. And so that was it. Well, we brought all the guys back together. They gave us our bids. And ultimately, we selected a, a company named Power Construction. And the reason we chose, I mean, number one, they'd done a lot of the building on the campus. But, you know, the, the people at Loyal knew a lot about them and, and were very comfortable with them and said they'll do good quality work. So we got our, we got our, our construction company. We've got our architect. We just have to make sure where we're going to put this place. So that's where Dr. Joan Cummings, who runs VA Hospital, comes along. And she says, you know, I've got this perfect piece of property. And it sits right over here, right next to the campus. And I can't give it to you, but I can lease it to you for a dollar for 99 years. Wow. I, you know, I took the board out there. Everybody looked at it. This is a winner. It's a beautiful piece of property. And it's right next to the hospital. Right so next to the hospital. parents can go back and forth. It's a, it, we could provide transportation, a, a, a shuttle bus. And we took people back and forth oh, wow. from the house How so they convenient. didn't have to drive their car. So then all of a sudden now Heinz is very uh, busy as a part of this. And the interesting part of it was the, the ability to get the lease for a dollar had to be approved by Congress because this was a piece of government property. So the... Democratic senator at the time introduced a piece of legislation to do this. The head of the Armed Forces Committee was Republican. He didn't like the Democrat. So he sat on it, and he didn't do anything. It went into committee and never came out, and it went for months. And we had, we had um, um, lobbyists that we were trying to use to break it loose. It wouldn't break loose. So one day I'm down at my boss's office. My boss was pretty involved with the Republican Party. And I said to him, he said, how's your Ronald McDonald house going? I said, oh, Peter, it's really, it's really frustrating. We can't get this through Congress. He says, hang on a second. He calls the secretary and he says, can you bring me the file on the Armed Forces Committee? And she brings the file to him and he starts laughing. I said, what's so funny, Peter? He said, the head of the Armed Forces Committee was my roommate in college. Wow, God is so good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. This he, is this is where God shows up. When yeah. you do everything you can and you hit a wall, and that's exactly. when God shows up, you know. He picks up the phone, and he, he calls, and he goes, what are you doing sitting on the Ronald McDonald house? And the guy's like, oh, I don't really like the senator. You know, she, she's kind of a pain, and you know, it's just kind of my way of doing things, right? It's the way the politics work. You know, She'll give me something I need, and I'll swap it out for the Ronald McDonald House approval. So he, Peter says, I'm putting my guy on the phone here with you because you need to hear this story. And I, I tell the story of Stuart to him, and he goes, you'll have your, your lease approved in two days. And sure enough, it Oh wow! I love it. So yeah, it was it was pretty cool. So we, you know, we got ready to rock and roll. It was it was really quite a story, and um, 
you know, we started construction and basically my role was to be at the house every Friday morning. We had a construction meeting every Friday morning and we would review what we had done the week before. If the the architect was there, the, the, the power construction manager was there. It was a guy named Mike DiCarlo. And good Italian guy. Yeah. And Mike, Mike was fairly young. He was, had just been hired. This was his first job with power construction and a really likable guy. And we, you know, we never really talked much about my life or his life, but you know, he was, he was on the job and doing a good job. And so we're working our way through things, but we never really had a a chance to talk about the fact of why I was doing this. And that's important because you're going to hear something later that ties to all this. So long story short, we start construction. We, we, we work, you know, every Friday for a couple hours and the board of, of directors, like, when can we go see the house? You can go look at the outside. All you want. No, we want to get inside. So finally we got the houses drywalled and everything is safe enough that nobody can, you know, injure themselves. Mike says, okay, Thursday night, which is board meeting night, you can have the members of the board come over. So I said, Mike, let me ask you a question. Can they write graffiti on the walls? He says, as long as you do it in pencil, you, you know, I'll kill you if you do it in an ink pen or a Sharpie. But if you do it in pencil, we can paint right over the top of that and it'll be fine, but it'll be preserved in the walls. So when the board members came over, I gave everyone a pencil. And I said, it's yours. Write what you want to write. So I went into the family room, and I wrote a letter to Stuart. And I just signed it, Love, Dad. And the whole time, you know, my goal of this project was this was going to be something special in honor of my son. This was my my memorial to my son, and it was going to be the best. So I, I, I wrote him a note, fairly lengthy note on the wall, and it was one of the longest board meetings we had because people went from room to room, and they wrote things, and they asked, you know, wrote blessings to the person that occupies this room. And I, it was so cool. I hope I can keep it together when I tell the rest of this story because it's usually very emotional. It's okay if you don't keep it together. So I come Friday morning for the board or for the uh, construction meeting, and there's cars everywhere. And normally it's a beehive of activity at this point because we're at full swing. There's all these cars, not a person moving. I can't. I don't see anybody. I'm like, what's going on? So I go in the house, and they're all reading the stuff on the walls. And so, okay. And I'm seeing people crying. Mike says to me, the construction man, he says, I need to talk to you. I said, okay. Took me into the family room. Is that you that wrote that? I said, yeah, that's mine. He said, tell me the story. And I told him all about Stuart. And he just digested it. He was crying. I was crying. That was it. We have our meeting. The guys go to work. A week later, I show back up at the house. No activity. Nothing. Where are they all at? There's cars everywhere. They're all standing together in the family room. 
And he said, Steve, we've read everything on these walls. We want to make our own contribution. We're going to work every Saturday from now till the end of the project for free. And we promise you, we're going to deliver to you a house that has no punch list. And we're going to deliver it early and we're going to deliver it on budget. And so these, all these people worked every Saturday at no cost to us. And they had to get the union permission. <laughs> they had to do all kinds of stuff. But it was, it was reading the walls that made all that difference. That's, that's the price of admission that you paid by losing Stuart, though. For sure. It, it gives you the ability to walk up to a woman that's sobbing in the waiting room and comfort her. It gives you instant credibility when you walk in and ask for $4 million and they, people want to know why. You know, it, it, this is, it, it's, a, it's a, a terrible price to pay, but it does catapult you, you know, to levels that other people just don't have. And I think that's, you know, it, it's losing a child is so very, very hard. But, you know, you took that energy that you would have spent on Stuart and rather than sitting around in depression, you made a choice and you did everything you could. And look what God did there. there look at how many but God moments you've already described. And the story's not over. That's right. And, and for the audience that's listening, pay attention to these things, because if you're stuck, you know, do make the choice, make the difficult choice to get off the bench and back into the game. It's difficult, you know, to do it, to say, to say the least, it's difficult. But if you can do something positive to make this tragic situation a wonderful outcome, it's not going to replace Stuart, not in any chance. But think of all the lives that have been impacted since that time. Every room had a Bible in it. Every room, you know, we I would spend time lots of time at the Ronald house, just sitting and talking to families and hearing their stories. And, um, you know, it was just, it gave me a chance to really talk about what God had done for me and for my family. And it was just really an amazing blessing. And, you know, the, the, the long story of this, this house is it took us a couple of years but it had some interesting offshoots from it. So as a part of this, every, every Saturday, I would take Michael here. We'd go over to the house and we'd sweep up all the sawdust and pick up all the nails that were on the floors of, just so that we'd have to pay a laborer to do all that kind of stuff. And Michael got very involved in the house. And we have a... a, a uh, an atrium that's a four-story atrium and we have a fireplace that has a you know that goes all the way up to the ceiling and on that fireplace we we did a we had an artist do a sculpture which we called the tree of life and it was a it was a bronze sculpture that had leaves on it and 
we enable people to buy a leaf in memory of their child or whatever. And the artist is over there and he's talking to Mike and I'm busy doing something else. And he goes, Mike, come here, I got to show you something. Because Mike's like, I wonder if my dad would let me buy a leaf. <laughs> and I'm like, I wasn't even around. And he says, Mike, let me show you something. He takes him up to the second or I think it's the second floor. And this entire sculpture was up against the fireplace, except there's one leaf that extends out past the edge of the fireplace. Now, why is that important? He said, Mike, if you buy this leaf, I'll let you write on the back of it, and people will be able to see what you wrote on the back of the leaf when they stand there. It, the leaf is only maybe three inches long, and, you, you know, you, you can see it. But I didn't know any of this conversations going on. So I go out of town on a business trip. I come back home and my wife says, hey, you need to go look on your pillow. At the time, that was right about the time that the very first Air Jordans came out. And he was saving up all of his money to buy Air Jordans. They were about 135 bucks a pair. And I come up and on my pillow is an envelope full of money. And he says, dad, the kids need this worse than I need Air Jordans. Please donate this to the Ronald McDonald house, which I thought was really cool. So I'm down in Atlanta and I'm talking to one of my business partners and I'm telling this guy, Bill, I said, he's asking how the Ronald house is going. And I, I tell him the story of Michael donating the money. He says, just a second, pulls out his desk drawer, pulls out his check. He says, how much is a pair of Air Jordans? <laughs> I said, 135 bucks. Michael Snyder, 135 bucks, writes him out a check. Oh my gosh. And he said, and then, Here's my contribution. So Michael got his first look at what does it mean to give and to receive back something special. I don't know how, it, you know, I, I, at some point in this conversation, we need to talk about how your affiliation with the Ronald McDonald House grew into way more than it was at the time. But so... That was a pretty cool experience, and, and Michael was all in. He and so, how old was he at the time? Fifteen. This was like ninety three or so. So at that point, that was before the house officially opened. So probably twelve, thirteen years old, oh, something wow. like when that. When it opened, he was fourteen or fifteen, and I, I'll never forget it. So uh, the house is now complete, but you know when when they finish, you got to go wash all the bathtubs and everything. He's there, he's running vacuum cleaners, he's washing bathtubs and toilets, and we're there with Marilyn Quinlan, the, 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 my partner, and some of the other board members, and he's right with us, move for move, and, and, and vacuuming and, and doing everything he, that he did. So it comes time for the, the, the grand opening of the house, and so we have a press day. And... So the deal was, I said, come on, you're going with me. This was in August, school is out, or July. I said, Mike, here's what I want you to do. I said, there's going to be all these reporters come, and they're going to take a tour of the house, but I can't take them all at once. So here's what I want you to do. Take them in the kitchen, get them a cookie, get them a cup of coffee or a Coke, and just seat them in the family room, and we'll take them in shifts. Okay, Dad, no problem. Day goes by. Perfect day. Lots of people show up. So I'm driving home that evening, and I get a phone call. I had a, one of the early car phones. 
Wow, fancy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I get a call from my boss, Peter, the guy that helped us get this thing through the Congress. He goes, that was quite an impressive interview your son did on the radio today. <laughs> I what? He goes, yeah, you need to turn on the radio station. I'm sure you'll hear it because it cycles about every hour. So I turn on the car radio, and sure enough, Bob Roberts of WBBM is doing a radio interview with Michael. He's telling the whole story of Stuart, which oh is really goodness. cool. So next day, I open up the newspaper. Big article with all kinds of pictures of the house and everything and talks about Steve Snyder. The majority of the article is about Michael, who tells how he took his Air Jordan money and gave it to the house <laughs> and all this kind of good stuff, which was really cool because, yeah. you know, he he really embraced what was going on there. So then we have the, the, the grand opening day. And, of course, Ronald McDonald was there and the Hamburglar. <laughs> Was Grimace? Because Grimace, Grimace was my favorite. Grimace was there, I'm sure. I can't remember, but a lot of the characters were there. But the big deal is Loyola is a Catholic uh, Jesuit hospital. And so the big deal was that Cardinal Joseph Bernadine, who's the head of the, the Chicago dio diocese, was coming to see the house. And so they said, all right, Steve, you have to take Colonel Bernadine. Bernadine on a tour of the house, which I was very pleased to do. So I take him on a whole tour of the house, and we go out to the secret garden, and he's he was just blown away. And he said, well, thank you so much for what you've done. And so I said, Cardinal, have a seat. Because it, it's a really nice bench. So I said, you know, I think it would be really cool if the Jesuits would build a children's hospital here at Loyola. I said, you know, i got to believe that the Catholics should look at this to say that the children are the future of the church. Mm. And I said, anything you can do for children would have a very positive impact on the future. And he goes, that's very interesting. He said, if we he were sales pitch, the priest, he said, <laughs> not just the priest, the Cardinal, the Cardinal. <laughs> and, and so he says to me, if I were to do that, would you do for the hospital? What you did for the house? I said, sure. No problem. So he, he didn't commit to anything. And then all of a sudden, several weeks later, I'd given him one of my business cards. I get a call, and this lady says, are, are you available to speak with Cardinal Bernadine? I said, absolutely. And long story short, he said, we'd like to do that. Wow. And so we went to McDonald's and said, look, you have the Ronald McDonald House here. Why not call this the Ronald McDonald Children's Hospital? And McDonald's made a major, major contribution to that hospital, which is really cool. And then I got involved, and in, in not nearly as deeply, but I was certainly involved with the hospital itself, and it was it was really cool. Well, about that time, Michael goes away to college. I'm sitting on the board. I'd been on the board now for ten years, and you know you, you got to take a break once in a while. Michael comes home from college. And we have a summer picnic every summer to celebrate. I think it was maybe the 10-year anniversary of the house, something like that. And he had, he had just graduated, and all of a sudden he disappears. And I wasn't too worried because he knew every inch of that house. And he just went off, and he was wandering through the house. And when he came back out, he said, Dad, I really feel like I want to get involved here. I said, you know what, this is perfect. I said, it's, I'd like to get off the board. Why don't you take my board seat? And he did. 
Wow. And all of a sudden, there was born what I believe to be one of the most special parts of this because what happened was Michael got a, a heart for charity. And he still has it. And he still has it. And, you know, I think at this point it's really important, Mike, that you tell the story because Mike sat on that board for a couple of years and then took a job here in Florida. Yep. And South Florida. Yep. And I think you need to pick up the story so that people can see not only did we do something nice for for a lot of people with sick children in Chicago, More but than it nice. changed a life. And I'm so proud of what he's become. And tell the story. Um, so for me, you know, I, I moved to South Florida, took a took a new job, moved to South Florida. And part of the, the new job was networking. And so I got involved in the Fort Lauderdale Chamber of Commerce. And through the Fort Lauderdale Chamber, I got introduced to um, a lady named Dr. Anna Calderon. She's still there to this day. Uh, but she serves at the Children's Diagnostic Treatment Center in Fort Lauderdale. And, you know, just because of everything we had gone through with the Ronald McDonald House, I just, you know, naturally started talking with her and just saw just saw the same heart that she has that, you know, everybody had at the Ronald McDonald House in Chicago. She's in it for the right reasons. Um, and just got to know her over the years and, you know, just served over there in whatever way I could. A lot of times it's, you know, getting getting toys for their, their Christmas, uh, Christmas toy drive, backpacks, you know, now that we're at Calvary Chapel, uh, a partner of Calvary Chapel is Publix, and they they deliver uh, trucks of food every so often to us. And the Children's Hospital has a, a little pantry, actually a very large pantry, uh, where they give away food. And so I've been able to to get them connected with Publix and Calvary Chapel, and so they they receive food. and And it, it's just been a very wonderful relationship that her and I have. Um, you know, been able to maintain over many, many years, but it was all just due to what happened. You're training a child, you know, especially in those years uh, around 12, 13, 14, 15, you're really training a child as to who they're going to be when they grow up. Those are the most important years for church. Those are the most important years in developing a child. And those are the years that I was the most involved at the Ronald McDonald House. So, you know, people do, maybe some people are sitting there saying, oh, that, you know, that that's amazing that your son did that and so on. And so, but to me, it was just like, no, that, that's just the natural thing to do. Um, but it was because I was brought up that way. I, I don't look at it necessarily as something special, um, but that's the thing to do. Um, you know, especially when it comes to sick kids with Stuart and our family. And that's the natural thing to do, help people out. I consider myself very lucky. I um, mean, it's, it's been a blessed relationship, me and the Children's Hospital, for many, many years. Um, so I, I still, to this day, <laughs> Dr. Calderon texted me uh, just the other day. They needed some backpacks for a school outreach that they were doing. So I'm on the case with that one. And, and even the, another organization, EMA, mm -hmm. uh, in South Florida, the EMA is Every Mother's Advocate, and it's uh, parents that are... Um, fighting for their kids in the foster care system. There's a, a wonderful young lady 
named Charlie that that runs that organization and man she's a spitfire and and mm. people ask you know what I'll, I'll go to their fundraisers or you know friend raisers as they call them um people's you know networking hey how do you know how do you know Ema? oh i know charlie oh what, what do you do for charlie i said i, I just answer the phone <laughs> when charlie and dr calderon call i answer the phone and whatever they need I, you know I'll, I'll you have not because you ask not and Calvary can help with some things, and there's other things where we don't have connections. But the things that we do, I, I give them everything that I've got to get those things for them. So it's it's been an amazing training. The, the, you know, the Ronald McDonald House was an amazing training. Um, and even, you know, we went back to that house. I think it was on the, what is it, 93, 2000? It probably was the 10-year anniversary. And I think they said 17,000 families had gone through that house at that point, you know, and, and you sit there and you, you, you have Stuart in one hand and you have 17,000 families in another. And, you know, this is one of those situations where if, if who knows what the number is now too. Um, you said it was over a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand nights of occupancy. Yeah. nights of occupancy. This was the, when on, on the anniversary, I think, again, I think this was 10. They, they just said 17,000 families. Who knows how many nights that correlates to, but you have Stuart in one hand and you have all these families in the other hand and you, you know, you inevitably you're going to ask the question, what would you rather have? Would you rather have Stuart or would you rather help, you know, all these families? And my answer is I want to have Stuart, but that's why I'm not God. I, I would do anything to have my little brother except Margo and Greg, I, I wouldn't give them up, but anything else almost is fair game, and including Ronald McDonald House. But God asked this family to walk down a path that we didn't want to walk down, and we said yes. And it's changed everything. It's changed, you know, everything that my dad started has continued, and that legacy for Stuart is cemented completely. And it's amazing because people, we go back to that Ronald McDonald house, people don't know who we are because it's been, it was either 90, it was 93, 94, 95. All right. You, you and I were debating that last night. I can't remember when it opened, but nonetheless, coming up on 20 years, that, that place. That? Almost 30. Or 30, excuse me, 30 years. Yeah. Um, so all the staff there, Nobody knows who we no are. It's, the only way they'd know is if they looked at the cornerstone because it has all the names of the board of directors on the cornerstone. Yeah, and, and nobody knows who you are. So you, you go back and you take tours and you want to you want to know what they know and what they don't know. And they you know nobody knows the stories of the graffiti on the wall and you know all, all sorts of little nuances. But it, it's always good to go back and just take a tour as, as a nobody and, and see how the house is doing and so on and so I forth. I want to take a tour when we go to Chicago. You're absolutely welcome. We'll take you over and let yeah, you see it. Yeah, let's make sure that happens. Yeah, and, and what, you, what you need, it, it's such a flagship location. It, it's completely different. One of the things my dad didn't mention is every one of the rooms, usually you get a room number. Like, Deb, you're staying in room number 12. Well, here, because it was the secret garden, every room had, was a flower. So you were staying in the lilac room, and everything Aww. in the room was in the theme of lilacs. And, and you also, inside the drawer, was the Bible, but next to that was the secret garden, a copy of the book, The Secret Garden. So, you know, it, it just, it, it, 
the tagline was the house that love built. Oh. And it, it, you feel it. You go into that Ronald McDonald house versus I went into the Ronald McDonald house in Fort Lauderdale and it was a hotel. Um, whereas Chicago, I mean, it, it just everyone, like, like my dad said, everyone involved was just so amazing and everyone was working towards the same goal. That, right. That, that when NASA landed on the moon, they had, I don't remember the number of employees that got involved in contractors. I think it was around a hundred thousand people, but the reason they made it to the moon was everybody was working towards the same thing. And that was the Ronald McDonald house. We all were working towards the exact same thing. And so it's such a wonderful memory to have just going back to that place and looking around going, I remember the day when, you know, we were scrubbing this. I remember the day when <laughs> insert any, any of the old memories, but it's, yeah, it was such a blessed season, but I was, I was taught that. Right. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. And just, I watch you live that out in your life now and, and we serve together and I can see the heart of just, um, there is a heart of love to serve. It isn't just I'm doing this because I should or I'm doing this because this is what we've always done in my family. There's something very unique about there's a genuine heart that you have to serve God and people. So it's a beautiful legacy. Yeah. So families out there, I mean, get out and serve together. Go to go to a soup kitchen, go to your church. Find something that that resonates with you, and don't do it to check a box. Go go listen to the stories because there are more stories like Stuart out there that resonate with us, and it resonates with construction guys and so on and so forth. But there there's so many different areas: homeless, you know, you name it, uh, you can find it. So I, I I highly recommend and bring your kids. Because it teaches them the heart of serving. And I think this world is losing that. It's losing that compassion and it's losing that ability to serve. You know, because of my own personal experience, I oftentimes get a chance to share with others. And one of my employees lost his son three years ago. Um, and his son was really a unique kid. Um, this was a kid that... Um, if a new person showed up at school and was sitting at a table at lunch by themselves, he would go sit down next to him. Or if there was a girl that wasn't going to get invited to the prom, he would go invite her. And he was just had the most incredible heart. And at his funeral, how all, did he die? He unfortunately took his own life. But oh, um, the the sad part of this is at the funeral, like twenty five kids each wrote one sentence on a three by five note card and they read them about cam and the the interesting part of this whole thing was everything that you know he was so kind to me he was so this everything was about kindness and the way he treated people so i i talked to his parents and i said look you have a special son here he, everyone loved him i said you guys need to start some sort of a charity around this and interestingly enough at the same time cam was a hockey player he played for the high school hockey team the hockey coach felt the same way so john and his wife came up with a uh, cam's initials were ck 
So they came up with a charity name called Choose Kindness. Hmm. And the hockey coach created kind of a logo, and he put it on the hockey jerseys of the high school hockey team. And they started this charity, and they raised money. And, and part of the money that they raise, they choose a student each year. I think it's one male and one female, if I'm not mistaken, that the students and the faculty believe are the kindest person in the class. And they give the, each of those children a scholarship. And it does that replace their son? No. But it does give them joy. And it, it, it's just amazing. It's an honor. The community that they live in is, is it, it's, it's a suburb of Milwaukee. And, but they, they seem to know everybody there. And, and, and what's interesting is when they have these events, whether it's a car wash or you name it, the community really comes out and supports it. And it, it's a beautiful thing to see all these, these kids who know this young man, and they come out and they do their thing and they raise money, and it, it just really is a very positive event. And I can't tell you, you know, what it does for you, but it certainly will never replace your child. It will not. But it's like a ray of sunshine that comes into your heart that says, I did something good in honor of my child. Whether it's your mother or your son or your aunt or your uncle or your spouse, whatever, find a way. And it doesn't have to be perfect. You, you, you mentioned that lady that in one of the previous episodes that went to the cemetery every day and read a child book to their son. Well, what if they had changed that just a little bit and said, I'm going to go to the city library every day and read a book so that all the children in the library would get benefit from that. How would that have changed things? Because if you're believing that you're reading to the spirit of your son that passed away, that spirit with your son of your son goes with you wherever you go. It, it, they're not buried in that grave. If he if she were reading that story in the library, he'd be right there with her. And so there, there are ways that you can find to to give back, and. You don't have to make a time commitment like I did to build a Ronald McDonald house. It can be something fairly insignificant. It might just be, I'm going to go participate um, with another charity and, like you said, work in a soup kitchen. Or I'm going to, you know, volunteer my time to, to, to help with their, you know, or I might participate in a walkathon. You know, all these kinds of things. I, I have another employee that, that works with me. And... She and her husband really felt compelled. They have a, uh, a a dear friend that they have two children that had Duchenne's disease. What is that? You know, I wish I could really explain it to you, but I can't. Uh, <laughs> you have to Google that one. Okay. But <laughs> the long and the short of it is they started a, um, I'll call it a race. It, it's, it's a 0.1K race, so a tenth of a kilometer. But they started it 10 years ago, and they I think it's 10 years, and, and you know they, they've raised money. Everybody gets pledges. And every year they raise 
60, 70, $80,000 for this charity. And it wasn't even their own child. It was some friends of theirs, but they really felt compelled to do it. And they've invested years of their lives in this thing now to the point where it's, it's just really something special. And they've raised an awful lot of money. Uh, I used to know the number, but it's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars for sure. And it was all raised because they had a heart for a situation. And, and I would say to the folks here, if you're listening to this and you haven't lost a loved one, you can still participate. You know, sure. One thing I can say is that every time I've stepped out and done something, I don't look for any kind of payback whatsoever. But I always feel like God gives back to me in ways that I feel like, wow, I got a return on my investment. I wasn't even looking for one. Oh, he multiplies efforts. He does for sure. And if you're looking to, you know, the, the best part about the Ronald McDonald house was for me, I couldn't, I didn't have time to sit around and feel sorry for myself because I was so busy doing stuff to get it going, right? So you'd say it was very I, therapeutic. It was very therapeutic. Even though it had been 10 years later, it was still very therapeutic. And, and wow, there were always moments during that whole ceremony, the day we did the groundbreaking ceremony. Um, the day of the dedication, the day we wrote on the walls that it was, you know, it was front and center in my mind that that was for Stuart. And it, you know, it was, it was really important to me that it came off just right. But you don't even, you know, I know our next episode that we're going to talk about are what are the kinds of things you can do to support others that you know that are going through a loss of a child and so forth. Maybe what it means is that if you encourage them to start a charity and you help them get it started and do those kinds of things because it can make a huge difference. And all I can say is you won't be sorry. You know, today is a, a society, our society today is all about me. Gimme, gimme, gimme. You know, what's this going to do for me? Try it just once and say, what can I do for someone else? You'll be so blessed. It, it will just blow you away. Amen. Well, I think on that note, let's save that and bring that back to the next episode. I think there's a lot of people that don't understand, um, you know, don't sit on the sidelines when something like this happens because they just don't know what to say, don't know what to do. And, and so the next episode, as uh, my dad mentioned we're going to come back and we're going to talk through how to support how to say the right things say nothing in the right way uh, and get involved when a, a tragedy like this happens in someone else's life uh, but until then we thank you guys so much for joining us for this episode we will be back uh, in a couple weeks with a bit more information for you guys on how to get involved but deb as always Aww. Ton of fun. Thank oh. you for joining us all. Of course. Dad, thank you for being a guest on our show. My pleasure. For this episode of Detours. But uh, we will catch you guys next time. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye now. Thanks for listening to Detours. For more content, you can find us on Spirit FM Radio, Spotify, 
Apple Podcast, Google Play, or on our website at detours.life. To view my writings or to contact me for public speaking engagements, visit my website at debmarsalisi.com. Thank you.